Hi, everybody. Mike Mirando here, and welcome to the sports version of the Rancho Cordova podcast. Each month, I feature a difference maker in the annals of Rancho Cordova's storied sports history. We're broadcasting, of course, from the California Capitol Film Office Studios in the historic Old Mills Winery Building. That's just off Folsom Boulevard and Bradshaw Road right here near Rancho Cordova. And friends, I am thrilled and excited about today's guest to start off the new year. In studio with us today is a bona fide multi-sport star out of Cordova High School, arguably one of Rancho Cordova's top football, baseball, and basketball players. In fact, he was offered at one time more than 100 full-ride college scholarships, mostly for football. On the basketball court, he was a gritty competitor, and there wasn't a better outside shooter. Our guest was also an all-city choice in all three major sports, football, basketball, and baseball, and earned an unprecedented seven varsity letters. He's a 1971 Cordova High grad, 2013 inductee into the Sacramento City College Hall of Fame, and an original inductee into the first Rancho Cordova Sports Hall of Fame class back in 2015. But baseball ultimately won out, and he played for the Minnesota Twins and the Boston Red Sox. We'll get all into all this and more with Larry Wolf. Larry, welcome to the show, and how in the heck are you anyway? Thank you very much, Mike. It's a pleasure being here. Excellent. Well, you know what, uh, Larry, I want to start off with your youth. Uh, your family had moved here from France, as you were sharing with me uh, before. Uh, your dad was in the service. You came into Rancho Cordova at a special time in our city's history. Aerojet was uh, in full throttle, involved in the space program, and of course, Mather Air Force Base attracted thousands of families, including your own, to our area. So let's start there. How important was it for you and the Wolf family to grow up here at that time? I don't know. It was just different because, I, you know, like, like you said, I came from France, and when, 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 when we actually moved here, everything was kind of like brand new. Cordova was fairly new. The house we moved into was all brand new neighborhood. So it was just really fun to be, be a part of the whole program. Tell us about that, and what precipitated your move uh, out west? Well, my dad was in the military. He, he got stationed out at uh, Mayther Air Force Base, so that's 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 the big reason we came out here. Now, he was a lieutenant colonel, right? Lieutenant colonel in okay. the military. What was his expertise? Did he fly bombers? or? Uh, he actually worked on more planes than anything else. He was more of a mechanical. Okay. You know, like so many families back in the day, you know, your dad, Walter, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, your mom, Virginia, a uh, typical household. They call it the nuclear family. Uh, I, I would imagine your mom ran a pretty tight ship. Not really. My, my mom was pr uh, pretty cool. I mean, was she? you know, yeah, because my, my brother was, well, my brother was a lot older. He was like 10 years older than myself. So he wasn't around a whole lot when I was growing up. But uh, my mom was, you know, she was, she was very nice, uh, one of the nicest people you ever meet. And you always felt at home if anybody came over. That is great. Now, you mentioned you do have one brother. Is he still with us? Yes. He's uh, 10 years older than I am, and he's he's 81 years old and plays golf three times a week, and he's doing great. Oh, wow. Is he a single handicapper? Uh, yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of times baseball players make great golfers. Do you play yourself? Yes, I do. Pretty good at it? Uh, at one time, I was. Yeah. I mean, when I say pretty good, I was like a five handicap. Uh, that's not, not, bad, not bad at all. You know, we talked about a great many things beforehand, but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is that 1965 Little League All-Star team. Let's begin there. In the summer of that year, you were a star pitcher, infielder, shortstop on an All-Star team that swept three local and regional tournaments, 
you came with an eyelash of Williamsport in the Little League World Series. And to give our listeners perspective, this team of 11 and 12-year-olds was a future who's who of Cordova High School baseball. Now, how special was it to play on a team with kids like that? Well, you know, at, 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 at the time, you didn't realize it. I mean, because, you know, we're all 11 and 12 years old. So I knew my, my best friend played on the team, Jeff Cout. He was our catcher, and I knew him really well. And we were great friends. But uh, all the other guys around us, I mean, I, I think the whole thing boiled down to is our manager. We had Dario Andina as our manager, and, and our coach was uh, Mike Brocchio. And I think we were very fortunate to have people like that coaching us because they taught us a lot. That is great. I mean, uh, some of the who's who, Jim Bardwell was there. Craig Lloyd was on that team. Don Reese, Mike Finch, Norm Meunier, and, of course, Mike Ondina, Bill Derica. I mean, you guys were solid up and down that lineup. Yeah, there wasn't an easy out in the lineup. And it's kind of funny, the game we lost, I can remember it so vividly. Uh, I was pitching, and we lost one to nothing. And they had a runner on second base, and there was two outs, and a ground ball to second base went right through our second baseman's legs, and we lost one to nothing. Uh, it's one of those games you'll never forget. I think it was the Novato game. <clears throat> it was Novato. Yeah. And uh, from what I heard, uh, we, our team was really good hitting fastballs, and they ended up throwing a guy, a breaking ball pitcher against us, and he shut us down. I was going to ask you about that game. I know it was a heartbreaker. Yeah. But to advance at that particular point, uh, point in time, and this is before Airport Little League ended up winning it in 69. You guys advanced farther than any team from the Sacramento area. Yeah, but it was amazing, too, because it's not like Little League is today. Uh, I think I think Little League now, they have double elimination. When, when I was playing, it was single elimination, and uh, it, it made it really tough, and there was a lot more pressure just on, you know, you have to win every game. You can't lose. Right. And I thought we did a great job of it. Oh, heck yeah, you did. And you played in an era where there weren't home run fences, at least with the Mills and Rancho Little Leagues. You had to run them out. It's uh, actually, not like today. Actually, at, at Cordova Little League, we played behind St. John Vianney Church. Oh, that's Church, right. You did have a and, fence. And they, and they had fences. You, you're right. You did. Yeah, but, I played in Mills, and we had to run them out. Well, I remember when I was like eight years old, we played over at Cordova Lane, and, and uh, there was no fence there, so you had to run it. <laughs> You know, the, that team was special. It seemed like in looking back through the box scores, it was a different guy each night, and that's what made made you great. In one game, uh, Craig Lloyd hit a grand slam in the sixth inning to, to win a game against Sutter. Uh, in the District 5 title game, you struck out 13 to win that game. And then Lloyd came back two days later and pitched a two-hitter to beat Carmichael. So you could almost see a, a, a future gelling with, with some of these guys. It was it was like that because I I can recall one game I was pitching and I was getting hit really, really hard and we we were we were down like seven to three and then we kind of finally got to be eight to five, and I can remember Bardwell came up and hit a line drive with the bases loaded hit the scoreboard for a grand slam and we won eight to seven. I mean, I mean it, you're right. It, it was everybody everybody contributed at the time and it was that's what made the game so much fun. Right. And as you pointed out, those are single elimination tournaments, one loss and, and you're out, which is different from today. You touched on something earlier, and, and folks were talking to Larry Wolf, a Cordova High School baseball star and also major leaguer. Tell me about your relationship with Jeff Cout. He was your catcher from Little League right up through high school uh, and one of the best in the business at throwing people out. How important was he? Oh, he was he was he was he was he was everything to us. I mean, he did everything for us. I mean, we used to give him, we used to always get on him about you're not that good a hitter. Then all of a sudden he'd hit hit like one off the fence. Uh, he kept us together. He kept us laughing. He was, I mean, he was a catcher that took control of the game. 
And back then, you didn't see too many 11, 12-year-olds that could catch it, that took control of the game. And he was he was one of the best I've ever seen. He caught, he caught us in high school, and we actually played against each other in junior high. And and uh, I can remember one game, I I was throwing a no-hitter against Mitchell, and he, and he was coming up the next inning. And we had uh, two outs in the ninth inning. I had no hitter going. I remember our coach coming up, coming out to me and goes, hey, if you want to walk him, you can. And I go, I, I would rather give up a hit than walk him because if I walk him, he'll really give me a bunch of crap. So I ended up pitching to him, and he got a base hit, and, <laughs> and he broke up my no hitter. So we, we still talk about that t- uh, today. Wow. Did yeah, he, uh, great he, memories. That is a super memory. I mean, did he give you a tip of the hat? or did you? No, he just, it? after the game was over, he goes, hey, you thought that for sure you'd walk me. I said, no, there's no way I'd ever walk you. What kind of pitch did you throw him? Fastball. Yeah. Yeah, he had it right back up the middle. Ugh. It's, 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 it's funny how some of those things you just never forget. Oh, no. Do you still keep in touch with Jeff today? Yeah, I, I talk to him probably once a week. That's great. Does yeah. he live here in town? He lives in Roseville. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. That's close. Yeah. And your coach was Mike's dad, Dario, a longtime baseball guy who was one of the founders of Rancho Cordova Little League. How special was it to play for him? And he was also inducted into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I've, been, I've, I've stayed in touch with Mike. His dad, I stayed in touch with Mike for a long time, and his dad was – very instrumental of uh, and and myself learning the game of baseball. Well, I mean, I learned so much growing up in Little League than I have in probably anywhere else. And so I give I give Dario and uh, Mike Brocchio a lot of credit for everything that they've done for me. Fundamentals seems to be, you know, I won't say lacking today, but back then it was stressed uh, in terms of knowing the rudiments of the game. Uh, what are some of the differences, maybe from the time that you grew up and played under these great coaches and the game today? That's kind of hard to say, man. Matter of fact, I just worked with a kid uh, yesterday that got drafted by the Pirates, and he's heading to spring training, and he wanted me to go out and look at him while he's taking ground balls at third base. And one of the things he said to me before we got started, he goes, Larry, I'm going to tell you some things. And he goes, don't get upset with me because this is what the Pirates want me to do. And I go, what's that? He goes, well, at third base, they want me to field everything with one hand. And I go, what? And he goes, yeah, they want me to field everything with my glove and, and not my other hand. And I'm just going, that makes no sense. You, you know, you see all fielding drills now. You see guys fielding with both hands. And and you're here, and now you're hearing it from Major League, a guy that uh, they want you to feel with one hand. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. It, it kind of frustrates me. I know when I talked to Randy Lurch uh, several months ago about this, you know, Randy obviously was a great hitting pitcher. Uh, he wanted to be a hitter so bad. And, of course, the Phillies back then, you if you came up as a pitcher – by gosh, you're a pitcher. Yeah. Randy always thought he could make it as a hitter, hitter and of course had uh, a number of home runs at the major league level. He says, hey, I could hit anybody. But baseball being what it is. Uh, that's interesting, though, that they, they are changing the dynamic of the game that way, wanting, wanting, to, wanting to have that uh, young man feel with just you know one hand. Maybe it's the athleticism. That, well, uh, that, that's exactly what he said. He goes, the reason they're doing this, they want me to be more athletic. Well, I don't. I, I mean, you're only. A, yeah, I mean, how do you get more athletic by feeling the ball with one hand? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to get into a, a little bit about the rules, uh, the, the new speed up rules, time clock, uh, the longer, uh, the uh, uh, phantom runners a second, things like that. Are you on board with that, or what's uh, what's your take on the new rules I, in Major League Baseball? 
I'm on board with the speed up rule as far as the pitching. I, I think I think that's a great idea. I think that's really sped up the game. I'm not really on board with the uh, starting the guy at second base because you know to me when I was a kid and if I went to a major league game. I didn't care if that game lasted five or six hours. It seems like everybody nowadays wants to get in and get out of there and get maybe out of there in two and a half hours. I enjoyed going to watch a game. I mean, I was I was sad when the game was over because then, then I had to go home. So I, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> well, there, then there's the game within the game, too. Yeah. That, and part of that you know, takes a long time right? Uh, in terms of strategy. Uh, you know, from my standpoint, I thought the designated hitter when it came into being and back in 73 was an absolute abomination. I think because the first guy that came up was a guy named Ron Bloomberg. Uh, he fielded with 10 thumbs, and I'm thinking, <laughs> my gosh, you got to be kidding me. But it's become the norm uh, now. But uh, that's, that's interesting. I want to talk about your football career next, and we'll go back to, to some baseball uh, as well. And folks in studio with us today is Larry Wolf, outstanding athlete from Cordova High School. Now, I first remembered you as a as a quarterback, as as I shared during the the, the pre broadcast today, uh, back in '69 and '70. I lived on Ambassador Drive. Used to, and a bunch of us used to ride our bicycles up through the fields to the back end of Cordova Stadium, and to watch you play. What was it like playing in those days at that time for you? I tell you what. Going back to football, football was probably the most exciting sport I ever played. I mean, because, you know, you play once a week, and practices were, were definitely grueling, but it was the one sport you couldn't get up enough for. I mean, I, I was so excited for game day, and I think everybody would say the same thing because you practice all week to get to that one one game. And uh, it was the most exciting sport I ever played. I really, truly enjoyed it the best. Now, you played in an era where you had two-a-day practices, uh, I don't know if uh, during the during the late summer before the season, I don't know if there were, uh, if you had pads on both practices, but those two a days were grueling. Oh yeah, back those days, I mean, we we brought our own Gatorade out. They didn't they didn't have water buckets out there for us to drink, so we'd always stop at the store and put our Gatorade bottles on the side of the field, and and when and when we got a chance, we'd run by and grab our Gatorade. But nowadays, they got so much water out there, and half the time you can't practice in pads, so it's 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 a lot different now. Now, I know you you went to Mills, right? Yes. So you played for Joe Brown, and I remember his famous speech in the summer when all the kids would would uh, come out in the gym, and he'd hold up a football. He said, "On August first, I divorce my wife, <laughs> and on November first, when the season is over or whenever it was, yeah, I remarry her." And just watching him walk back and forth giving this speech, I think a good third of the kids quit just listening to that speech. Uh, he was your first ninth grade coach and a bomber deer in the air force storied military background. How was it playing for him? He was amazing. I mean, cause I had never been coached like that before. Cause like, like I said, I've never played football before other than flag football. And now all of a sudden there, he's teaching me how to put my pads on and stuff, which I never knew how to do. you know, your first or second time you get there and he was tough. I mean, uh, he was rough on us. I mean, he, he made us, I mean, we were constantly hitting. And like I said, I, I, I didn't know anything about football at the time other than watching it on TV and stuff and playing flag football. I didn't know, you know, uh, right, the right side of the line is uh, two, four, six. The left side is complete opposite. And I, I learned so much that year and it really made me enjoy the game of football with him. So he, that was like your said, first was experience uh, playing uh, tackle football. Yeah. Was it Mills? Yeah. Uh, d- did you play quarterback or tailback? I played quarterback. Okay. Yeah. And it was hard because now I'm trying to remember plays. He's calling plays in, and 
you know, I've never done this before, so it's like it was hard. I can't remember it now. Did you guys beat Mitchell or did they beat you? Yes, we uh, – it's funny because that's another – it's funny you bring back stories that, you know, it's just things you never forget. We played Mitchell and uh, they ran this thing called the Bloody Bucket where they they went into a huddle like probably 20 feet from where the ball was on the side. And next thing you know, the center walks up and picks up the ball and throws it to him, and they run down the field for a touchdown. And we're all looking at each other like, what just happened? We were down six to nothing and uh, – we didn't know what happened, and so we ended, we actually came back and we beat them seven to six, and it was a great game. It, it was really a lot of fun. So your point after your, your kicker won the game for you. Yeah, for an extra point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow, that uh, it was a great rivalry with them, though. Well, it is, and and in fact, uh, Jerry Rieger, who I know that you're familiar with, mm-hmm. he was the first quarterback to quarterback Mitchell to a win over Mills, which happened in uh, 1970, I believe. And I remember he told me after that game, he said, that really should have happened a couple of years before. I don't know quite what he meant, but he was certainly proud that day. And friends, if you're listening to this, Larry and I are talking about the great Mills and Mitchell football rivalry. For many years, a lot of uh, Cordova High School football players came out of Mills and Mitchell, a lot of great athletes as well. So those games are are great. Your coach in high school, uh, Dewey Guerra, how was it playing for him? I, I I really enjoyed Dewey. I, I thought – I mean, we had I, – I think I was very fortunate when at Cordova, even at Mills. I mean, Mills the same way. I mean, I, I was fortunate to play for Jack Ramsey in basketball at Mills. And, uh, and then I was fortunate to play for Joe Brown. And then going to Cordova, I mean, we had great coaches over there. I mean, I can't think of one bad coach I ever had. I mean, so I was very fortunate to be able to play under for the coaches we had with Dewey Guerra, Ron, Ron Lancaster, uh, uh, Bates – who was a great man and just, I mean, I mean, those are guys you, you played your heart out for. They also shared something else in common. All those coaches were full-time teachers and instructors on campus, something that today is lacking yeah. with a lot of high schools. And now Cordova has a new coach, J.P. Dolliver. He is also on campus. I think the pendulum is starting to swing back. Uh, J.P. is a good guy, came uh, over here from El Camino High School, is committed to the area. But the coaches, all that you just mentioned, Larry, all of them had a vested interest in the community. And there's an accountability factor when you see a Jack Ramsey on campus, aside from football, or a Ron Lancaster, or especially a Jerry Bates. You know, Jerry's going to give you some jazz if you're not keeping up with your studies. So I think that's a dynamic that we had back then that uh, is lacking in certain circumstances today. And obviously, you benefited from it. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I, like I said, I was very fortunate to be able to play under, under those coaches. And uh, as far as uh, leadership, they gave you every bit of that. And they taught me how to lead because I wasn't – I don't, I wouldn't say I was a natural-born leader. I, I mean, I'd like to lead guys, but they, they made me a leader. And uh, they, I, they wanted me to take control of the game. And that's pretty much what I tried to do every time I stepped on the field. That is great. And, friends, if you're listening, of course, Mills is now middle school. Is located uh, right next door to Cordova High School, and the relationship there was fabulous. Mitchell is not too far away. Back then, they were feeder schools uh, to Cordova High School. So uh, you came into your senior year as having played uh, – you were a halfback converted to a quarterback. You played both ways as a defensive back. I know that because you returned an interception, uh, I think, 45 yards for a touchdown in one game. But how difficult was it for you after from your 1969 season to make that transition to quarterback? Uh, 
Not really. I mean, it didn't bother me a bit. I, I think uh, – actually, I don't think it bothered me at all. I mean, I, I actually wanted to play quarterback. I, I wanted to play quarterback every year, but we had we had better better people before me. So I was I was very fortunate to be able to play quarterback. Dewey gave me every chance in the world to become the quarterback. To give our listeners perspective, Woodland had a guy named Craig Penrose, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, he was an all-superior California quarterback in his own right, with Cordova and Woodland staging some epic games. And your 1970 season was terrific all around. Those Lancers went 7-2, and two, and it was really the start of the decade of dominance that we come to know the 1970s. Uh, you guys finished second to Woodland that year in the Delta League uh, uh, up to that point. But you tossed 14 touchdowns that year with only four interceptions. And three times that year, you passed for three touchdowns, and two of them were particularly noteworthy. Rick Vanderpool, (laughs) who I know that you remember, a beloved figure in Rancho sports history, was the recipient of not one but two TD passes from you on tackle-eligible plays. Now, that game was against Armio, and I can't remember anybody doing this twice in a game. Did you guys script that beforehand? Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. Uh, everything we did was pretty much scripted. I don't, we never we never winged it where we just made up plays and stuff like that. Dewey had everything lined up that way. Well, he was a master tactician, and I know Rick, uh, of all people, especially Rick Vanderpool, probably one of the more beloved figures to get two touchdowns that way. Larry, I want to take you back to a particular day, October 31st, 1970. It was a Saturday afternoon game at the stadium. It was Halloween. And you and Jerry Manuel hooked up in probably one of the finest displays of passing in Cordova history. Three touchdown passes to Jerry, and you guys beat a pretty good Fairfield team, forty to thirteen. How good was Jerry Manuel? Oh, he was. Oh my God, I, I can't think of a better receiver. I, I've never seen a better football player than Jerry. I mean, when he stepped on the football field, he was hard to tackle. Uh, he'd run away from you, and he made me look good. I mean, he made everybody look good, but uh, especially when you're throwing the football. There was times, you know, you throw it up in the air, you throw it short. He'd come back and get it, or you throw it too high. He could he could go up in the air and get it. He he was an amazing athlete, just amazing. He 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 was he was definitely the star of our team, without a doubt. I remember he wore, I believe, jersey number eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which fit him, looked great on him. Yeah. What, I forget, what number were you in high school? Three. Three, okay. As far as making you look good, uh, this was an otherworldly performance that day. You connected on 15 of 18 passes for 331 yards, and the TD passes were 54, 14, and 64 yards to Jerry. And I would imagine, I can't remember specifically, but a lot of those were catch and runs. Oh, yeah. Just, but, but, you know, the, the other thing you have to take a look at, too, and, and which we never give credit to it, is without the offensive line I had, I could have never made those passes. So it's not just Jerry and myself. I mean, you, you got to look back on our offensive line, our center, our guards, uh, our, our tailbacks blocking. It, it, football is a team sport. Sure. It's not just, you know, Jerry and I and and another, another tailback. I mean, it takes all 11 people to make everything work. I can't remember you ever getting sacked, so that's a That a, makes a big a, difference. A testament yeah, to, to our a, line. To your offensive yeah. line. Uh, and, and speaking of some of these guys, uh, you had truly great teammates. Virgil Brown was there. Eddie Peralta, a great player. Joel LaFord, Greenwald. You had a big tight end, a kid by the name of Ron Wallace, who I remember is a good blocker. 
And another beloved figure in Rancho Cordova history, Roger Hawking, was your kicker. I mean, you had a super ball club that year that really set the pace. Yeah, it wasn't like we had to rely on one thing. I mean, we we could go different phases of the game. We could run, we could throw, we could we could kick field goals. There wasn't one weakness on our whole team. Right. Now, getting back to Penrose, he was named as the All Superior California First Team quarterback. But one could argue that you may have had the better year, though Woodland did go undefeated that season. You were both good quarterbacks. Uh, you had fourteen touchdowns to his twelve, and you had a slightly better pass completion percentage. How good was it playing next to a guy like that? You know, it's funny. I, I never really thought about it. I mean, I mean, I remember we played him the city championship, and it rained like for like two days straight, and we had to go to Woodland to play him, and there was a bunch of rice holes on the field, and every time you took a step, you sunk down about probably eight inches. So it was a mud bowl. Yeah, it was horrible. It, it would have been, it would have been so nice if we could have played them on a dry field. I think it would have been a, a great game, but it turned out to be kind of a sloppy mess. Now. I have it that you met Woody Hayes, the legendary Ohio State football coach, one year at the Rose Bowl. He wanted you to become a Buckeye. Now, tell me about that. That's kind of weird because they, they sent me to the Rose Bowl to watch. I think back in that I think at that time, Ohio State was playing Stanford when Jim Plunkett was the quarterback for uh, Stanford. And I got to go to a few of their practices, and I met Woody Hayes and talked to him for a little bit and watched a few of their practices. And I think that's kind of when I made my decision that uh, – when I got out of high school, that baseball was going to be my career. There were so many big guys there. It, it made my decision for me. Was it just a, a feeling, a hunch that this really wasn't quite right? I mean, meeting Woody had to have been an honor, but yeah. it was just something that it, – it was, it was just the size difference. I mean, I'm looking at these guys. I'm looking at tailbacks that are like, uh, you know, 6 feet 1, 6 feet 2, two 230, 240. You know, defensive backs that are 220, 230. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm checking in at 170. And it's like, yeah, I just don't think this is going to be a future here for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you obviously made the right choice. Yeah, I, I think so. Now, in basketball, you, Jerry, and Mike Ondina were kind of a trifecta. And of, of all the write-ups I looked at and remembering when you guys played, nine times you personally scored in double figures, <clears throat> and it seemed there wasn't anything that the three of you couldn't do on a basketball court. Explain that relationship. You had it on baseball and football, and here you come into – High school basketball, and almost the same thing is happening. Well, you know, when, when you when you have three decent athletes, you can do a lot of things. I think what was forgotten is uh, I think my junior year we ended up going to the TOC. I think it was the first time Cordova ever went to the t tournament of champions. Right. And uh, what people forget is it was Jerry and myself, and I think we had uh, Randy Nelson and Mark Burrington. And I tell you what, without those two guys, we'd have never got as far as we did. Randy Nelson was dominant, and so was Mark Burrington. They're both big guys and, and controlled the boards and also scored a lot of points for us. So it wasn't just Cherry and I. We had a lot of other people around us. Craig Lloyd was a part of that team, also. Right. I was going to talk about Craig. He seems Craig Lloyd was a guy that I remember. He seemed to always have a presence to be in the right place at the right time, whether on the basketball court getting a rebound or baseball making the right play. There are certain athletes that tend to, to to rise up and be at the right place. Craig Lloyd was one of those, wasn't he? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I've known, I, I'd known Craig for a long time. We played Little League together, and uh, we always had a lot of fun together. He was, he was one of the better players I ever played with in high school, and he always knew that to be in the right position. He was, he was a very heady player, and he knew, he knew everything about the game, and it was fun to be around him. That's cool. Now, to give our listeners perspective, it's worth noting that, Larry, you scored 45 points against a pretty good Washington high team one night, 37 of those coming in the first half. 
you averaged close to 20 points a game in the season in your own right. But some of the other guys on the team would also free up uh, scoring opportunities for you. Oh, I remember you as a tremendous baseline shooter. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, it doesn't just come down to me. I'm, I've got guys setting screens for me, and I'm coming off screens, and uh, they're rebounding and passing the ball out. So, like I said, it's not just me. I, it's, it's five guys working together on the basketball floor. You'd mentioned you went to the uh, TOC for the first time, which is true. How special was it going to a tournament of, tournament of champions and being part of a first Cordova team that went there? Oh, it was, it was so exciting. I mean, I, everybody, I, there wasn't one guy on our team that wasn't excited to go play for it. It was just unfortunate we had to play the, the best team in the whole tournament first game. I think Lodi, we played the first game, and they ended up winning the whole thing. Right. I don't think they had a close game either. No, I don't think they did either. No, they had a pretty good front line. Larry, I want to talk about something else. You played in an era where playing multiple sports was encouraged, two and three sports. Today, it's much different. Coaches really tend to have athletes focus on one sport. Maybe they don't want to get injured, whatever the case may be. The approach to athletics has changed. How do you see that? I'm not a fan of it at all. I, I think it's terrible. I mean, I, I hear programs like football programs. I'm not going to mention any schools that do it. But I know there's football programs in high school that are only allowing their kids to play football. I mean, if, if I had a son like that, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Let, I would take my kid to another school, because I. Because you look in the you look in professional sports today. I would. I would venture to say, and I, this is just off the top of my head. I bet you seventy five percent of the guys that make it in professional sports were athletes, and when, when I consider them athletes, they're playing all three sports. And if you're going to limit the kid to playing one sport. I mean, to me, if, if I played one sport all year round, I'd be bored of it. I, I actually looked forward to, after I got done with football, playing basketball. Then I looked forward after basketball, playing baseball. And I think if you played it all year round, I'd be, I'd be extremely bored. It was a different mindset back then. Coaches would leave a couple of spots open uh, on the basketball team because they knew a Larry Wolf or a Jerry or someone else was going to be playing. And so you went from one sport to the next, and you excelled. As you pointed out, now it's become more specialized, and I know that injuries have a, have a tendency to, uh, to factor into it. But uh, uh, it's definitely a change, but it's refreshing also to see that, that, uh, that you have those opinions. I want to go back to your Cordova high school baseball career. And uh, just to give our listeners perspective, if there was anyone who was born to hit, it was you. Uh, as a junior in 1970, you batted three fifty four. Ten of your 17 hits went for extra bases. But it was during that summer that you became a pitcher, a star pitcher, the first pitcher in District 6 American Legion history to win at least eight games in a season. You finished with 11 for the Elk Grove team because Cordova hadn't established its own Legion team yet. But that certainly got the attention of Guy Anderson. Tell me a little bit about Guy and how it was playing for him. <laughs> uh to be honest with you, I, I really enjoyed Guy. Um, it was funny because you talk about pitching. I, I, I remember we played uh, Grant and uh, the TOC my sophomore year. I was playing varsity. And I had, I had not pitched all year long. And uh, they asked – because I was having arm problems. And they asked me to pitch the championship game against Grant, and I got killed. They beat us 13-1. to And uh, I swore to myself that that would never happen again. And then uh, I ended up playing Legion ball with Oak Grove, and we played Grant probably three or four times, and they never beat me again. Uh, just it's a mindset, and uh, and 
So I, I just told myself it wasn't going to happen again. And then, and then I had the opportunity to play for Guy. And uh, Guy gave me great confidence. I, I really felt good playing for him. He built, he built my ego up. Uh, I think he built everybody's ego up because he wanted to have a good, solid team. And we did. And I, th- I don't think without Guy, we, we'd have been as good as we were. One of the things that Coach Anderson said, he was in a, a film documentary last year, and he said with the, this group of kids, when they came to play, they came to win. It was a different mindset, even as younger kids uh, from ninth grade on. That was their mindset. And so you surrounded yourself with the same type of uh, athletes that had that mentality. Yeah, that's so true. And, and the, other thing, the other thing you have to give Guy Anderson a lot of credit for, too, is, you know, we probably had four or five guys that got drafted off that team that I played on. And there's a lot of egos going on there. And for a manager or a head coach like that to be able to handle all those egos, it's not easy. And I, I thought he did a fantastic job of uh, putting us in our place at the right times. And that's not always easy because nowadays, you know, with kids, uh, you have to watch what you say to kids. And there's a lot of times you can you can bring kids up, but you can also bring them down. And I thought Guy did a good job of really keeping us on, on even keel. Sure. Sure. I was going to ask you about that first Grant game as a sophomore. You've already talked about it, the 13-1 to game. But you learned a valuable lesson. That's not going to happen again. And as you correctly pointed out, you beat Grant uh, at least twice, maybe three times uh, the following couple of seasons. That particular Legion season, uh, you had a coach named Fred Lima who was quoted in one of the newspapers. (laughs) When you won your 11th game, he said, I have never, ever seen a pitcher do something like this. That was a year you really blossomed that summer into a pitcher, not just somebody who threw the baseball. So uh, how, how much do you remember Fred in terms of uh, coaching Legion? Well, Fred, Fred was probably – he's so, so much different than anything I grew up with. I mean, I, you know, I, we talk about the coaches I grew up with, you know, and at Mills that were so good and at Cordova that were so great. Fred was just a guy that just let you go out and play. He never said he didn't say too much to you. He just said, you know, okay, you're in the lineup, and just just go play and have fun. And that's basically what Fred did. He was he was super nice to be around. Just he never put pressure on you. Just just go out and play. Had you always envisioned yourself as a pitcher? No. Yeah, I'll tell you the only reason I the only reason I became a pitcher is because I, to be honest with you, um, I got frustrated with watching guys on our team pitch. You know, growing up, they weren't throwing the weren't throwing strikes, and I and I wanted to win, and I didn't care how how I did it, but if I had to get on the mound to win, that's what I was going to do. I mean, to me, growing up, it was all about winning, and and that's pretty much what I I, I stress for. Did you have any mentors? Were there particular major leaguers that uh, you emulated uh, their style of play or respected? Uh, players that maybe you watched at the major league level at that time? Not as far as pitching. Um, when I was young, I mean, my idol was Willie Mays. I, I grew up and, you know, it's funny. We, you know, I talk with kids today about hitting and stuff like that. And I go, is there anybody uh, you, you idolize? Well, I like this guy and this guy. When I go, okay, well, is anything else? No. I mean, to me, when I was growing up, I wanted to hit like Willie Mays. I'd hold, I, I, would, I would take the stance like Willie Mays. I'd hold the bat the same way as Willie Mays. And you don't see kids today do that anymore. Well, obviously, Willie had an effect on you because in your senior se- season, you hit a gaudy 435. And it's worth noting, three triples, four homers, and 29 RBIs, this is back at a time where high schoolers only played 23, maybe 24 games a year. It's not like today. 
that team your senior year, you went 18 and six. So you turned into a hitting machine pretty quick. Well, it was, it, you know, it's it one of those things. I, I did have a good, really good year that year, but you also have to remember, too, that we didn't have fence back there in Cordova. We played up up top. Uh, we didn't play at Peterson Field. So you got a lot more roles. So that's, that's one, one reason why there's more home runs and more triples, probably. Well, you had to run them out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not like before. And it's also noteworthy to point out that you were the winning pitcher in half those games. You went 9-2, and two, 86 strikeouts in 70 innings with a microscopic 118 ERA. Th- that is almost unheard of. Now, you pitched, you had days of rest, but because the games were spread out over a longer period of time, it probably didn't uh, have any effect on your arm. But those are solid numbers that you put up. Yeah, again, I mean, we, we had we had a really solid team, too. So it's, it, you just look back, and uh, and plus I had, uh, again, who I can't give enough enough credit to is Jeff Cowett catching. Right. He made all the difference in the world for me. I was going to talk to you about Cowett again, your, your schoolboy uh, friend, and also caught you all through high school. How often did you shake him off? Uh, not too often. I, I pretty much called everything he called. I mean, there was very few times if uh, we weren't on the same page. And he, he would always come out to me because why, you know, if I did shake him off, why are you shaking me off? I, right? I just, you know, I just feel like this. You know, throw, throw this. I'm like, okay. Jeff was a competitor just like you. Mm-hmm. And he was a fiery competitor, as I remember. And having Cout, we talked about him at the Little League level and the Youth League level at Cordova High School. Uh, he was the captain of the defense. Mm-hmm. He ran the infield. Uh, from what I remember, how important was that for oh, you? It, it was it was everything because it took it took a lot of pressure off myself, Craig Lloyd. He he was he took charge of the game, and you you see very few catchers anymore that do do what he does. I mean, he 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 would tell people where to go, tell people where to be. I mean, he just took full charge of the game, and like I said, he, he would come out to me and go, "No, you're throwing this pitch." And I go, "Okay," but uh, it's it's that's just who he was, and and. I can tell you one thing to show you the kind of guy he was. We would get in fights all the time. I mean, we'd go to the schoolyard and play basketball, and we'd end up fighting each other. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we'd end up going to blows. And then after after we got done, we'd walk back and, you know, share stories and laugh about us. Back in an era, folks, when scores like that were settled on the playground and not taken to the office, and there certainly weren't federal cases made of it. But that's great. You still maintain a great friendship, even though you obviously had differences. But what a ter- what a terrific story. How about a, a few other stories uh, during your senior year at Cordova, uh, maybe involving Cout? You, you didn't shake him – he didn't shake you off very often and vice versa. Were there any bizarre plays that may have happened? Uh, well, there was one one time, and uh, everybody seems to think – differently than what what I thought is I can't remember this it was a really tight game and and I think Guy Anders would probably say we, we ran it on purpose but I threw a ball to the backstop and the ball came right back to the catcher and we ended up tagging the guy out from third and Guy Anderson and I think everybody else says Cout uh, called that pitch that I was supposed to throw it off the backstop and and tag that guy at home play. It just just so happened it worked out that way. But I don't recall it uh, being done that way. Like he didn't call it. We never practiced it. But it just so it just happened that way. So you juke the guy into t- trying to take home yeah. on the wild pitch. Yeah. And it just so happened it bounced right back to him. It was in my mind. I didn't do it on purpose. But a lot of people think we did. Well, hey, let let them think what they yeah, want. Exactly. The play, the, the play exactly. worked. Uh, obviously, that uh, that is fabulous. Uh, 
interesting. In fact, Anderson holds you. It's interesting you talk about Guy Anderson. He holds you in such high regard as not only a terrific shortstop and athlete, but on any given day, it's going to be you or Jerry or Randy Lurch or Mike Ondina, Jeff Jenkins, Chris Bazio. The list is endless of athletes, that baseball athletes that came out of Cordova High School. How proud is that for you to be mentioned in the same vein? Oh, it's it's enormous. I mean, I mean, we had so many great athletes there. It, it was amazing. And I think there's one person you're forgetting is Niles Nyman. Niles, yeah, uh, absolutely. Niles Niles was one of those guys on the team that you never knew he's there. He's so quiet, never said a word, and then he'd go out and just beat the tar out of you. And he was he was one of my favorite people. That that guy really turned his career around. He he grew up really fast. I, I think after I left. His senior year, I think he had a great year, and he ended up getting drafted, and he did really well. Right. And, and Niles, of course, a, a great athlete in his own right, he is the first Cordova High School player to actually play in the major leagues. Back in 74, he was called up by the White Sox. Had a torrid week. I think he went something like 9 for 14 after after they brought him up. It was uh, funny because I, 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 when I talked to Niles, I remember uh, he was in A-ball, and and I got called up to A ball at the time, and uh, I all I heard about in the whole league in A ball was Niles Nyman, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, and that's a kid I played high school ball with, and everybody's talking about how great he is. Was that you or him that was playing for Appleton at the time? He was playing for Appleton. Okay. He was gotcha. playing. I was playing for Wisconsin Rapids, and so we we end up we end up going to Appleton to play him, and I said to him, I go, how come you're tearing this league up, man? I go, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I really I feel really good, and I and I still talk to him about this day. And last time I talked to Niles, and I said, I told him, I go, you know what? I go, that made me feel really good knowing you're tearing it up because I, in my mind, I felt like if you're tearing it up, I know I can do it too. And I, I think that that really helped me in, in my career because I, I, I mean, after that, I started doing really well. And uh, it's just, it's just really cool to see somebody that you went to school with who's tearing up a league and ends, ends up getting the big leagues really fast. And I was, I, I was, I was really proud of that kid. He he's a he was a true gamer and, and I love him. And he to this day he's a fabulous person. I Absolutely, know he's, been, he's been at the Hall of Fame induction two, yeah. or, two or three different times. And it's always nice to see him and of course Mike and some of the other guys. Uh, Jim Bardwell interestingly showed up at our class reunion. I'm a '73 guy, and so we talked uh, a few uh, for a few minutes. So uh, I know you keep in touch with a lot of the guys. Uh, do you have lunch with them occasionally, or do you guys have a meetup? Uh, every so often. No, but it's kind of funny you bring up Jim Bardwell because <laughs> a good story with Jim is, you know, Jim and I growing up, like at elementary school, we, we went to Rancho Elementary School. And Jim and I would, for some reason, we would always seem to get in arguments and we'd get in fights. And we'd always get in fights in, ele in elementary school. And then when we got to junior high, we became really good friends. And uh, I'll tell you what, he was a great athlete. I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit for the things he, he did in high school. And we, like I said, we had him in Little League, fantastic Little League player. And then he went to junior high with us. And he was like, I think, I think he was our fullback or tailback and was really good in football and baseball. And then he went to Cordova and he was, he was a great athlete. I mean, he, he was one of my favorite people. And I don't think he gets enough credit for the things he did to Cordova because I, I thought he was a really special person. Right. Well, that, that, that's a great story. Uh, each one of them has, has, uh, has super stories. After after Cordova, uh, you, then you went on to Sac City, and you led the league, hit four ninety five, just seared pitching. Were named All Conference. Uh, you, you had a great coach at the time. Tell me about your coach, uh, Daring. 
right? To, yeah, Tony Gehring. Tony Gehring. He, he was uh, – uh, I, I had a lot of guys come up to me. And they wanted me to go go to Sac City, and they said, you, you'll love this coach over there named Tony Gehring. I said, all right. So I ended up going over there, and he was he was everything they were saying he was. He was fantastic. Uh, made you feel really comfortable. Um, he He put the effort in to help you and work with you. And he really helped me tremendously. And he brought another coach in that really helped me uh, in field wise. And I, I learned so much. I learned so much at Sac City about fielding balls that I didn't know before. And uh, so it really made it special for me. And, and Tony was always a really good friend afterwards. Now, did they teach you how to uh, feel with both hands? Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, like we had talked about the difference. Now, Larry, you were drafted uh, three times. The Dodgers snagged you uh, in in one of the years. The Yankees picked you the following year in the fourth round. But you didn't sign with either team. It wasn't until you were drafted uh, in the the, uh, ninth round by Minnesota that you signed a contract. Uh, What prompted you to finally sign? Well, I think the big reason, I got drafted out of high school by the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, being being, – being from Ranch Cordova, pretty much, I would say I became a real, real big Giant fan, and I couldn't imagine myself playing for the Dodgers. And plus, the Dodgers <laughs> were always were always a great organization. They always had great players. So I, I just thought to myself, it would be really tough to make it to the minor leagues with a great organization like the Dodgers, because they had so many great players. And then uh, the next year to get drafted by another team like the Yankees, who I'm not a Yankee fan, but you know they're they're. They've been so good for so long that the chance of making it coming up to the Yankee organization, I thought would be really hard too. I mean, they're no, they're not much different than the Dodgers organization. You know, a lot of great players and great organization. So I thought I'll I'll just wait another year. And I then I, then I was fortunate to get drafted by the Twins, and I, I thought the Twins were kind of in they've been in the kind of Down syndrome for a while. I thought there's a, there's a great opportunity for me. I'm going to take the chance. Okay, so you were weighing and measuring uh, based on based on the clubs and in uh, preference. Absolutely, uh, very interesting. Now back then there was no pomp and circumstance on draft day. There was uh, very little. Or, uh, there was no ESPN or sports shows. <laughs> but what was it like getting the phone call that you'd been drafted? Oh, it was exciting. I mean, I think anybody that says they weren't excited when they got drafted is lying to themselves. I mean, it was probably the most exciting day of my life. Were you waiting for the phone to ring? Absolutely. Was there a particular time of the day you no, knew? No, no. I, actually, I was out playing, doing doing what I always do. I didn't really think about the draft that day, but uh, when I got the call, it kind of a wake up call, like, "Wow, this this is this is really happening." Yeah, uh, that is f- fabulous. Now, back in 1977, you had a great AAA campaign. Uh, you hit 304. Were among the league leaders in several categories, and you were called up to the big club. Uh, Larry, take us back to that day when the Twins promoted you to the major league team. Well, it's kind of funny because I was playing. I wasn't really playing for the Twins that year. I was playing for another organization. Oh, the Houston, right? <clears throat> yeah, I, I was right. optioned out yeah. to the Houston Astros to play AAA baseball that year. So, and I was just very fortunate to play for a manager I played for. That was just name. Guy's name was Jim Beecham. He was fantastic. I mean, he's probably the best manager I ever played for. Like I said, I was very fortunate to play for him. And it was funny because we, we were we were just starting the playoffs, and uh, Jim. He called me in his office. He goes, I'll tell you something. He goes, uh, you're going to get called up to the big leagues. He goes, but you're not going now. I go, what does that mean? He goes, well, we're in the playoffs. You're not going up till the playoffs are over. And it just so happened that uh, the first night of the playoffs, we get rained out. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. 
because I'm not making a lot of money at the time. And I'm thinking, now that's one day I could be in the big leagues making some money for myself. Sure. And I'm getting rained out making no money down here. So it was kind of frustrating. But uh, once once we finished the playoffs, we end up we end up winning the playoffs and getting 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 called up. And I remember walking into Arlington, Texas. That's where. That's where I met the team on the road it, and walked in the locker room. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is a dream come true. It was – I mean, my eyes, I don't think they could have got it open anymore, and they were. I was just floored, to say the least. So w- you actually saw your locker with your name on it. Yeah. Walk me through that. Well, it's just – well, I saw my name on the locker, and it, 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 when I first saw my name, I was, like, excited. Like, wow, there's my name, and then I saw my number. And I went, oh, my number was 39. And I'm like thinking, oh, I don't want a number 39. But but then again, you get right back to where, you know, I'm in the big leagues. Let's just play it out and see how it goes. And it, it was it was a dream come true. And anybody that says it wasn't a dream come true is lying to you. Wow. Uh, this is almost like a moment from the movie The Rookie. Oh, when you I, walked into that, Arlington. That exactly. That's one of my that's one of my favorite movies. That every time I watch it, it makes me cry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched it a couple of weeks ago myself. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis Quaid does a fabulous oh, job. Unbelievable. In it. And uh, of course you know his story. Yeah. Uh when you were with the Red Sox, I have it that you played every infield position, including catcher. Yes. Uh, it was nineteen seventy nine, I believe, when you did this. What prompted you to play behind the dish? Well, we got to a point where I think we we're in Kansas City at the time, and uh, Fisk, it was like the eighth, bottom of the eighth inning or something, and I think Fisk got hurt, and they had to pinch hit for him, and they had nobody to come out to catch the ninth. And they go, hey, can anybody catch? I go, yeah, I'll catch. I'll do it. And so he goes, can you catch? I go, well, I'm, yeah, I'll do it. We would, I got out there, and uh, we, I caught one inning. It was great. I loved it. It was fun. How was it playing for a guy like a Carlton Fisk? Hey, he's he was probably one of my favorite people. I mean, here's a a true story that I tell this all the time to people. Um, we were in Kansas City one time, and uh, Fisk, we we became really good friends. Fisk and and Yastrzemski and I were really good friends. But Fisk Fisk said, "Larry, let's go have a drink." We had a day off one day, and I go, "Okay," because the next night we we're going to be on Monday night game of the week. And I said, all right. So we walk in. I think it was a Sheraton or something. And uh, we walk in there, and there's uh, Don Drysdale and Howard Cosell sitting back there. And we walk in, and uh, Howard Cosell goes, Carlton, come over here. And I go, go ahead, Pudge. Go with him. And he goes, no, Larry, come on. I go, no, I think they want you. He goes, no, come on. You come with me. So we sat down, and um, we're sitting there having a drink with uh, – Don Drysdale and Howard Cosell, and I tell you, I, I was like in awe. I, I mean, I could hardly speak because I'm so used to watching Howard Cosell interviewing Muhammad Ali and sure. sitting listening to him talk. It was like I was just floored. I mean, I couldn't stop staring at him, just listening to him talk. It was just amazing. And you had Double D right next to him. Yeah. Yeah, Don Drysdale. I, I actually asked him about uh, knocking down Willie Mays because he used to always knock down Willie Mays back in the day. He goes, he goes, it wasn't intentional. And I go, yeah, I'm, I'm not buying it. But uh, and then I had Yaz, who was uh, every time we got on a plane, Carl, uh, Stremski and I we were always bridge partners. So we'd play bridge together with other guys, and he, he was another fantastic human being. I was going to ask him. you about Yaz. You you played alongside some great athletes, yeah. especially on that Red Sox team at that particular time in your career. Yeah, it, there were so many fond memories. I mean, we had uh, Jim Rice. I played golf with him one day. 
and he gets the golf ball a mile. But it's a super nice guy. And we had and uh, God, he's thinking about the guys we played with that year. And Fred Lim was in center, another real quiet guy. He didn't, he didn't say much of anything, just kind of went about his business. But super nice. And we had Dwight Evans, and Ryfield. He was kind of a little loose cannon sometimes, but uh, a lot of fun to be around. And we and I had actually Bob Watson was there. He he, he ended up getting uh, uh, traded over there. Uh, George Scott was there. Um, you know, we had Hobson, Butch Hobson was there, Burleson, you know, Dennis Eckersley. I mean, there's just so many people. I mean, it, I mean, it's probably uh, three or four Hall of Famers on that, on that team. Sure. You know? Sure. And then I, then I played with Carew in Minnesota as another Hall of Famer. It's just, it, it brings back a lot of memories. You, you learn so much the whole time you're there. It's, it's really, it was really fun. In the Red Sox team that year, didn't they have a couple of characters of the game too? Was uh, was uh, Oil Can Boyd on the team at that time, or was that before you? No, Bo- uh, Boyd was there the year before, I think. Okay. And Tiant was there the year before too. Okay, but that that was a fun team. That, yeah, I mean there was there, there was on. no holes barred with that team. Toward the end of your career, you played a, a year in the Japanese Professional League. What kind of differences are there between Japan and the major leagues? At that time, when you played, uh, there was there was kind of a big difference because uh, I know in the United States, uh, you go to spring training, and you're, you're in spring training for probably a month, maybe six weeks. Spring training over there went like uh, two months, and and it was cold, miserable. And spring training over there was, you wake up at seven o'clock, you go downstairs, you exercise for a half hour at seven thirty, and you're at the ballpark at eight thirty. You have lunch at the ballpark, and you don't come home till like five thirty or six at night. So you're pretty much in spring training from seven o'clock till six o'clock, and then when you got done from there, you come down, you sit down on the floor, and you have food. It, it was it was I really I, I enjoyed it. I mean, to me, it was a lot of fun. It was a great experience, and uh, it's something I'll never forget. I was it was really a lot of fun. Actually, uh, I'm trying to think of that movie uh, that. Uh, uh, Leon Lee was a part of Mr. Baseball. Mr. B- uh, Mr. Tom ba- Selleck. T- Tom Selleck. Yes. Well, the guy in our team was a, a Japanese player. He's probably the biggest guy. We call him Jumbo. He's like 6'3". And Jumbo was actually he, – he, he took me everywhere. I said, Jumbo, I go, if you take me to good places to eat on the road, I said, uh, I'll pay for all your meals. Just take me to good places to eat. And just so happens he was in that movie. Uh, he was one of the pitchers in that movie. And I thought it was really weird seeing him again. I guess he passed away since then. But uh, what a super, super nice guy. And and in and Japan, people were so friendly over there. It was it was just an awesome experience. Yeah, in the movie, I think Bernie Mac. Uh, or am I getting confused with another film? Uh, anyway, but back then, I think they only allowed what a certain number of American players on each team. Yeah, you can only have two Americans per team. Now, in the movie, uh, they had some guy lighting fires and cleats and things like that. Uh, ever the prankster. Did you have any pranksters on that team? Oh, we had a lot of, not so much in Japan, but we had a lot of more pranksters in the United States where they would, they would, uh, they, they would light, they put the uh, fires on your shoe. They'd light you up and different things like so that. So that was an actual thing. That oh, actually yeah, that, happened. that actually happens. And, and like, put like, like sand in your glove. Uh, another good story is one time, and I don't know if he'd be happy if I'm, if I'm telling this no, story. No, go ahead. But uh, Mike Marshall, I played with, he used to pitch for the Dodgers. Yep. And he was in Minnesota when I was there, and uh, it was before a game one time, and I'm sitting on the bench, and some guy, he's like, let's play catch. I, I, for some reason, I couldn't find my glove, and I, so I just grabbed this glove and picked it up, and it just happened to be Mike Marshall's glove I'm playing catch with. 
And one of the things I noticed was he had like a little hole in his glove. And I thought, what is this? Well, I, I put my hand down there and I found sandpaper in there. And I used to always wonder when I was playing third base when Mike would come in to pitch, every time he'd get a ball, he'd always take the ball and he'd rub it, really smash in his glove and rough it up. And, find, and find, he saw me with his glove and he goes, Larry, give me my glove back. He goes, don't you ever pick my glove up again. He was really upset with me. He, he was really mad. Well, yeah, you found out one well, of his found secrets. out what was going on. And so I found out he, was, he had sandpaper in his glove. He's scuffing those balls up so he can make it do more stuff. So there's, there's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of cheating going on. There always is. That's why they're checking pitchers all the time between innings to find out what's, if they have any Vaseline or anything they're doing with the ball. Well, you had back in the day, I mean, the Necro boys, uh, oh, uh, yeah. uh, Phil would, would throw, he'd, he'd lather it up, and his, his brother would had a uh, had sandpaper as well. I think one of the great stories is back in the 50s, Whitey Ford would wear a ring with a shunt on it that stuck out about a quarter of an inch. He'd get the ball back and just tear the crap out is of the Is that right? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yes. he. That's interesting. Because back then, it, no no TV, or if there was TV, there's only one camera, and the umpires really wouldn't notice it. But he had it on his glove hand, uh, on his uh, uh, index finger, and was able to pop it out and just scuff the crap out of the ball. So that sounds kind of like Gaylord Perry with all the Vaseline and stuff. I don't know where he's hiding all that stuff and Barbasol and everything. Oh, else. that was everywhere. I mean, he, he, he would. <laughs> I, I loved watching him pitch. I'm sure you did as yeah. well. He would go to the hat, to the belt, yeah. other places on his body. Uh, if there was ever a guy who was in need of a pitch clock, it might have been Gaylord. Oh, without a doubt. But uh, you brought one of your gloves with us today, you, your pro gloves. It's a Rawlings. Uh, tell us about it, and how long have you had it? Oh, I, matter of fact, I uh, I think my last year when I was in the big – I had a glove contract, so, I, I, they, so Rawlings would give you two gloves a year. And I just so happens I, uh, I kept a brand new one. I, I always put it away from my grandchild. Saying if my if my if my daughter has a boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna save for her for him, and so uh, just so happens like two years ago, I gave it to I gave finally gave it to my grandson. He turned eight, and so I think he got a big kick out of it. Uh, but I've always been a Rawlings fan. That's what that's, that's a favorite. That's I think it's the best glove made in baseball. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it looks in great shape, and I know it's several years old. Oh yeah, uh, that's probably at least it? 45 years old, 50 years old. You still use it? I don't know. I don't. I don't use that glove. I don't use any gloves anymore. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about what Larry Wolf is doing today. I know you coached uh, several years at Bella Vista High School. You're now over at Jesuit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I coached. I coached uh, basketball over at Bella Vista for probably 10, 11 years. Really, really enjoyed it. And then uh, I end up. A guy called me back, like uh, I guess it was probably eight or nine years, eight years ago, and asked me to coach uh, baseball over at Bella Vista. So. I coached four, four more years over at Bella Vista, and now I'm coaching over at Jesuit High School. And you're coaching next to a, a revered figure, Joe Patoni. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, that guy is awesome. He's he's one of my favorite people I've ever met. He's he's everything everything you'd want out of a coach. I mean, he's 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 uh, he can be your friend, he can be your enemy, but more times than not, he's always your best friend. And I, I'm learning a whole lot from him. I remember Joe in high school. I know we shared this uh, before the broadcast when he was a player for Jesuit in between games at the Cordova Easter tournament when I was a reporter. We got to talking. He's such a student of the game. He knew the game Stratomatic Baseball <laughs> and actually brought a couple of cards, I think, the next day or the day after. And he and I kibitzed in between games about Stratomatic, which 
the premise of the game, each card, player card, is based on the previous year's record. And he was a huge fan, talking about strategy. And I just got the impression this kid is going to be a coach someday. It turns out he's been one of the the finer coaches in the Sacramento area. Yeah, he's 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 very good. He's he, like I said, he's got a great rapport with young kids, and it's not easy anymore with, with young kids anymore. And there's so much stuff going on in their life that it's really hard. It's really hard to be a good coach anymore because because you're you're kind of strapped down to what you what you can do, what you can say anymore. It's not like it used to be. And I, I can remember when I was playing football at Cordova, I'm grabbing you by the face mask and, you know, yanking you around and doing different things like that. It, uh, society has changed. And yeah. there's, there's only so many things you can do anymore. And, and it's almost like you have to be their best friend anymore. And that, and that kind of takes away from coaching. What are some of the things that you like to do aside from coaching? Uh, different activities that you and your family do today? Well, uh, I don't do a whole lot. I, I mean, I, I love coaching. I love working with kids. I, I, I get a big kick out of that. I, that's, that's kind of my joy now. Um, I play, I try to play golf when I can. Um, so I would say golf and working with kids. I do a lot of lessons. I, I work with hitting with kids. I work with fielding with, with kids. And uh, it's just a joy being out there and feeling young again. Your family, I know your wife, Stephanie, and you have two grown adults, and you've also got two grandchildren, right? Yeah, I have, I have a, uh, my, my daughter has a, a young daughter who's uh, now uh, uh, eight, nine years old, and my, and my youngest, and, and uh, I have a little boy who's 11. And uh, they're so much fun. He think, he's a baseball player. Uh, at least he thinks he is for right now. Uh-huh. He, he's, he really enjoys the game, he's, but I think he's more into basketball. He, he he's a Steph, Steph Curry fan. He has everything he has is Curry stuff. I finally got him into wearing some uh, Darren Fox. He, <laughs> he became a Kings fan too. So, yeah, he's 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 fun to be around. And, and my my little grand granddaughter, she's a cheerleader. Okay. Yeah. And how old is she again? She's nine. All right. And she's a swimmer. She like she loves swimming and and she loves uh, dancing. And like I said, and my grandson, he, he he's a. He wants to be a three-sport athlete too. Well, swimming is a great sport. Exercises every uh, bone in, or every muscle in your body. <clears throat> yeah, he's yeah. a he's he's a really good swimmer. He's, I mean, I, to me, I think the hardest swim in the world is the butterfly, and that seems to be his favorite swim. So, he, like I said, he's got a good good upper body strength, and uh, hopefully, he continues with it. I hope he does. Excellent. Uh, what's next for Larry Wolf? That's a good question. I, I really don't know. I am, you know, I I think I'm going to continue coaching. I want to. I want to keep doing it as long as I can, and I want to keep. I want to keep working with young men. Like I said, I really enjoy that, and I think I still have a lot to offer these people. So as long as I enjoy it, and as long as I enjoy it, and uh, keep doing the things I'm doing, I think I'll, I'll continue with what I'm doing. Okay. A uh, couple of uh, unrelated questions. What might be one pet peeve that uh, that you have looking back uh, that kind of sticks in your mind? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I don't or, know. Okay, or or maybe one desire that that you have that you haven't fulfilled yet. Well, there's a lot of good golf courses I'd love to play. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of a lot of fabulous golf courses I'd love to go out and play, but I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I played the, a golf course in Maui that was probably one of my favorites. Compare that to Pebble Beach. I was going to ask you, have you played Pebble? Yes. Okay. Played that a long, long time ago. That 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 was a dream come true. That that is one beautiful golf course. 
Wow. Yeah. That is great. We've been talking. Uh, unbelievable. Our hour is up. We've been talking with Larry Wolf, a great star athlete from Cordova High School, Major League Baseball player, and an outstanding coach in his own right. Larry, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I, we've covered a lot of ground and just want to thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Friends, until next time, that is a wrap. This is Mike Mirando with the Rancho Cordova Sports Podcast, and we will see you next time. Thanks again, Larry. My pleasure. Thank you.